study of the life of Abraham, that great man of faith, the father of both the Israelites as well as the Arab nations, that one who was married to Sarah, Sarai, as we'll be talking about her today, and having no children, but boy, what miracles God did to bring forth the nation of Israel. We saw last time that the Lord spoke to Abram, that's what his name was, Abram, before he became Abraham. He spoke to Abram and he told him that he was to go forth from his country, leave his relatives and his father's house, and go to a land that God would show him that was going to be his land. And he made all kind of promises. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. And you shall then turn around and be a blessing to others. And I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and all the families of the earth will be blessed. And Abraham, it says, went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. And along with him was Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, he was 75 years old when he began to make that trek. And he and Sarai and the nephew may make their trek towards um, this land that God is going to lead them. And where they're going to go to is the land of Haran. And from there they will make their way to the Canaan land. Now I gave all of you a map. You see this map? Let's look at the map for just a second. We're looking at the yellow line, all right? The yellow line is, is Abraham's journey to the Canaan land. Down over here, you see where he's in the Ur of Chaldees. That's, you've heard of, that he's in the Ur of Chaldees. That's where he was. And then look at the trek. You'd say, well, man, why is he going there? Why don't he just go straight across? You know, why don't he just go straight across? Because if you'll notice, he is following the source of what? Water. That's right. He don't want to make that trek across here where it's a desert-type land. He's wanting to make it where the water sources are. So it carries him up north, and there's Haran up at the top, and from there then he makes his trek down to the Canaan land. Canaan land is on the west side of the Jordan, the Dead Sea, the Sea of Galilee, so he makes his way down there, and we're going to find out his first stop is Shechem. You see Shechem down there in, in, in the Canaan land? Y'all see that, Shechem? Yes, I see that, Brother Mac. Amen. Y'all see that? Okay, Shechem, it says, is going to be the first stop. And then it's going to tell us the second stop, and this tells you this map is not exactly accurate, okay? Because it tells us his next stop is going to be that he's going to stop at the mountain between Bethel and Ai. And if you, you see in that, uh, you see where Jericho is? If you were to go just west of Jericho, you'll find Ai. Now, how would we know that? How do you know that? What happened, what happened in the book of Joshua? What happened in the book of Joshua? What was the first city they encountered when they crossed the Jordan? Jericho. And what was the city, second city they encountered? Ai. So right to the west of Jericho is Ai. And then if you went 10 miles north of Jerusalem, see where Jerusalem is? Then that would be Bethel. So actually that arrow should be coming there between Jericho and, and Jerusalem through there. That's where he traveled far. And then it says he makes his, uh, his trek on south to Negev. The Negev is this southern part that's down here in the desert type of land. And then eventually, we're going to find out today, he makes his way over to Egypt when the famine comes, only to come back out of Egypt. So just let you know how he's going to, you can follow as we go through his life, you can follow this map. It'll help you see that. Hopefully it'll help you. 
All right. Look at what it says, beginning then in verse number 5. And Abram took Sarah, Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Here's what it says first. And Abraham passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem. Ah, y'all see that on your map? That's the first stop in the Canaan land. Is at, the, at, the, at Shechem, the site of Shechem, which is the Oak of Moray. Now why would it say that? Because the Canaanites, they were cultish and their worship place were in the midst of oaks. So whenever they went to Shechem, there in the midst of the Oaks of Moray would have been a place of their worship, their worship of false gods, okay? So you've got to imagine this. Here's Abraham and his little small group of people who are making their way, and they've gone to Haran. They've come all the way down. They've crossed over. Now they're in the Canaan land, and they come to Shechem, and they encounter this cultic worship, this false god worship. Abram is right in the midst of that. So... What does it help you to see about them? It says, notice what it says in verse 5. Thus they came to the land of Canaan, verse 6. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. In other words, the Canaanites possessed that land. They owned all that land. They weren't about to give it up. So Abraham owns nothing there. Abram has no possession at all. Abram is going to live a nomadic life, okay? He's going to live a nomadic life. Now think about this. All the days of his life that he lives in the Canaan land, he lives in a tent. How many of you ladies want to sign up? I mean, all the days of his life, he lives in a tent. He lives in a nomadic state. What do I mean by nomadic? He didn't own any of the land. So what he would do, he couldn't go and, and be in that land. He'd have to go from place to place, usually in the desert type of land. It's certainly not the best of land because the Canaanites possessed the best of the land. He would go to the land nobody wanted, and he'd have to travel, and he'd let his herds eat something. They'd eat stuff down. They'd have to pick up his tent, and he'd have to move again, and they'd have to be able to eat there. He was nomadic his entire life. He lived in a tent his entire life. Hold on a second now. Wait a minute. This is the man that God comes to and speaks to and tells him, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to bless all your people, the world's going to be blessed through you, uh, all this. And his entire life, he's going to live as a nomad in the Canaan land. In the Canaan land. Now, what does that tell you about some things? Well, it tells you this, that promises are not always fulfilled in your lifetime. The promise, that, the promise that God's going to make to him is not always fulfilled in his lifetime. But rather, whose lifetime? Look what it says in verse number 7. Here's what it says. And the Lord appeared to Abram, where? There at Shechem. There, right in the midst of all that Canaanite worship. Appeared to Abram and said to him, To your descendants I will give this land. Who's he, going to, who's he promised he's going to give the land to? He's going to give the land to who? To Abram? No. He's going to give the land to who? His descendants. 
those of his lineage, his children, his grandchildren. There's somebody down in his descendants who are going to possess all of this land that is now possessed by the Canaanites. Isn't that something? God comes along and says, listen, you see all this land that you're walking on? You see all this fertile land of the Canaanites? I'm going to give it to your descendants. But when he said, I'm going to give it to your descendants, he did not say, I'm going to give it to you. Did he? No. He didn't say he was going to give it to him. He said, your descendants are going to own all this. But for him, he's going to live a nomadic, tent life all the days of his life. He's never going to own anything in the Canaan land except one thing. Who knows what one thing he owns? Who knows? He owns a cave. You remember that? Whenever his wife Sarah dies, he goes and he tells the, the people who live there, the Canaanites, that he wanted, he needed a place to bury his wife, bury his family, a family burial place. And they said, here, we'll give you this. He said, no, you can't give it to me. I have to buy it. I have to own it. And so he, he purchased Machpelah. Remember that? Machpelah, which is a cave, and that is where he buried Sarah, and that's where he was buried. It's where his family tomb would be. That's the only thing that he owned in the Canaan land in all the years of his life. Because why? Because the promise is for his descendants. The promise is for his lineage that's going to happen. And God's going to be faithful for that to take place. But Abram believed. He believed what God said. So what did Abram do? Listen to what he does. It says, whenever God told him that, verse 7, he says, so he what? Built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Do you know what Abram constantly did? He constantly worshipped God. An altar was the place of worship. It was a place of honoring God and glorifying God and spending time with God. All right. So he said, it's whenever God speaks to him, his response is, I'm going to build an altar here at Shechem right here where all those Canaanites are worshiping, I'm going to build an altar here to the one true God. Why am I building an altar? Because I'm going to worship Him because He appeared to me. He appeared to me. He spoke to me. Could, could you write down in your notes a little practical application for this? You ought to desire to spend time with God, to worship God, to honor God, because He's spoken to you. Because he's, he's appeared to you. He, he's made himself real to you. And because God, the God of all the universe, speaks to you, and, and you know who he is, he is worthy of worship. Why, why, should, why should you be the one or I be the one? Why, why was Abram the one that, that God appeared to and spoke to and, and said, I, I'm going to be your God and I want you to follow me? And Abram does. So get in your mind that he is this man who meets with God. He finds it important to meet with God, spend time with God. He goes on now. What happens next? Listen. It says there in uh, verse 8, Then he proceeded from there, this is where we're talking about the map's not exactly correct, to the mountain on the east of Bethel. And what did he do? He pitched his tent. Why? Because that's what he lived in all the days of his life. 
with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. So he's right there between Bethel and Ai. And what does he do again when he comes to this place? It says, there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. He built an altar to the Lord and called upon his name. Now that's, a, that's an interesting statement that is made there. One of the neat things to me early in, in Scripture here in the book of Genesis is it's identifying landmarks that you're going you're gonna to hear about again somewhere. What's he, he already identified Shechem. You're going to read about Shechem all throughout the Old Testament. He, he also identified Bethel. You're going you're to hear about Bethel all throughout the Old Testament. He identified Ai, which is one of those cities that whenever they crossed over the Jordan, as we talked about, they, at Ai they defeated the Israelites until they got their hearts right and then they won the battle. So it's, it's identifying right here at the beginning of, of history for us, biblical history, these very important places. And when he comes there to that place and pitches his tent, it says he once again worships God. He builds another altar. Wherever he goes, he's going to build an altar. Where he's built that altar, it's a place of worship. It's a place of honor to God. Get in your mind that that's the kind of life he lived because that's the kind of life we're supposed to live. That's the kind of life we're supposed to live. Isn't it? A life of worship. Not, not, not once in a while, but everywhere we go and everything we experience, we have a life of worship. You might say, well, Brother Mac, am I supposed to build an altar at my house? No, you don't have to build an altar at your house. That altar's already been built, amen? <laughs> that altar's already been placed. You, you already have the right to go into the Holy of Holies because the, the veil was rent from top to bottom when Jesus died on the cross. And because of the blood of Jesus, the altar is prepared. All you have to do is worship at it. Amen? You, know, you don't have to put any stones together or, or, or build any sacrifice. The sacrifice has already been made. All you have to do is choose to worship. And, and what did he what did it say? It says, he called upon the name of the Lord. Now, that's interesting in how that says that because you remember what Moses said whenever Moses, God called Moses to go to... Uh, to get the children free from, the, from Egypt. Remember what Moses said to one of his excuses to God? Y'all remember that? Y'all can talk. This is open preaching time, all right? He said what? He wasn't good at speech. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's true or possible in a relationship. What, 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 what other things he said? He said something else. All right. That's what he said. He said, hey... When I go tell the Israelites that I'm here, they're going to say, who sent you? And what am I going to tell them? What's your name? And what do he say? He says, I am that I am, or I am the great I am, or you fill in, I am whatever you need. Remember he gave, and he said, this is my memorial name. Well, hold on a second. If Moses had to ask God what his memorial name, and God told him at that time, then when Abraham's calling upon the Lord, what's he calling him? What's, what's he saying there? Well, I, I want you to see that. It's in chapter 21, chapter 21, verse 33. That's what it says. 
And Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the what? The everlasting God. That's what he called the name. The everlasting God. That's a pretty good name, amen? Everlasting means he had no beginning and he has no end. And as we talked about Sunday, it's capital G, amen? He's the only God. The everlasting God. Do you know the greatest way to praise God, to honor God, to worship God, is just call God who he says he is. <laughs> just call God's names. Just tell God who he is. Just talk about his attributes. That's the greatest thing you can do. And Abraham is here, and he's calling out the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. He's worshiping God once again. Then the next mark, it says, And Abraham journeyed on and continuing towards the Negev. Now, put a little footnote here, because it's going to be very important for you to grasp. This man is a picture of us, of how important it is to meet with God every day. I mean, he's meeting with God all throughout this journey, isn't he? He's praising God, honoring God. Yet, we're about to see something. Yet, you can have and he could have a consistent quiet time and still blow it when it comes to temptations and trials that might come his way. Did you hear what I said? Hold on a second. Let's apply that. You can have a quiet time every morning and you can meet with God and praise God and worship God just like Abraham did. But when Abram faced a trial, even though he had that walk with God, he faced that trial, he blows it. So, hold on a second. Have any of you ever blown it? Have any of you ever had the experience of having a great quiet time, meeting with God that morning, just feeling like God's sitting right beside you, and, just, and before 9 o'clock you blew it? For the rest of y'all, y'all just lying. Y'all know you have. You know you have. Meet with God. Well, hold on a second. Abram, Abram's a good example of that. He, I mean, here he is. We're talking about he's meeting with God, meeting with God. Look what happens beginning in verse 10. Now, there was a famine in the land that always introduces bad stuff. Now, there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Here's first problem. All right, the first problem. There's a famine in the land, so Abram does what? He makes the decision that he's going to go down to Egypt to be able to get some help to make it through the famine. Do you see anywhere in there, does your Bible have any footnote in there that says, and God told Abram to go to Egypt? Does your Bible say, maybe, maybe one of those paraphrase might, but yeah. It didn't say it anywhere. Not one place did God say, go to Egypt. Go to Egypt. Does he? Wait, back up a second. Hold on a second. What was his instructions about taking this trip? He, did he give him a road map? No. He told him what? Follow me. You go where I tell you to go, you follow me. But here is the mistake that Abram made. The circumstances are bad. The famine is hard. It is severe. He's worried about whether they're going to have something to eat. So he decides, he decides, we're going to go down to Egypt. 
And when he does that, he just blew his quiet time. When he does that and he, he surrendered his life afresh and anew to Jesus today, to God, for God to lead him and everything. You ever been there? Because just like God didn't tell Abram to do some things, God doesn't tell us to do some things and we just go on and do it because we think that, that makes sense. We think that's the, that obviously is the thing we ought to do. Having no idea whether God wants us to do it or not. Now you might say, well, brother, how can you say out there that, that God didn't do it? Let me show you how you, you can see it, all right? You can see it in anybody's life. Look what happens next. And it came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarah, his wife, listen, see now I know that you are a beautiful woman. That's a good thing to say. Men, say that to your wife as often as possible, all right? I know that you're beautiful. Wait a minute. Look at 12. And it will come about when the Egyptians see you that they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, so that it may go well with me because of you. Here's the key now, underline this. And that I may live. <laughs> what's, he, what's he concerned about? He's concerned about living. All right? That, that I, I might live on account of you. What a plan. What, what a plan. Now that tells you right there that he is not walking in God's will and in God's way. Why? Because first of all, he has, he's lost his character. What is character? Character is who you are in the depths of your heart. And one of the things of character is to be truthful and honest. Because God is truthful and honest and he calls us to be like him, right? Well, he's sitting here. He, he, he's sitting here and lost all character. He, he's he's going to lie. He's telling her to lie for one reason: to save his neck of potential problems. It is not even a problem yet. It's a potential problem. So he's lost his character, but he's also lost his courage. He lost his courage. Did you know that whenever you walk with God, you have you have God-given courage. Whenever you're really where you ought to be, God gives you a courage to stand. God gives you a courage to do things you never thought you could do. Because you're walking with God and he, he indwells you with His courage. But the most fearful time of your life is when you're away from God. When you're out of the will of God. When you've gone your own way instead of going where God told you to go. You can get fearful in a hurry and you lose your courage and therefore you're going to have to come up with some plan. And what a crazy plan he comes up with. He says, now listen, when we go down there, you're a beautiful... She must have been a beautiful woman. Now, she had to be a beautiful woman because, I mean, not only did he think she was beautiful, but the Egyptians thought she was beautiful and Pharaoh thought she was beautiful. And not only that, there's going to be another time Abraham doesn't learn like it. I mean, another time he's going to have a very similar experience in relationship to that too. She's obviously a beautiful woman. And because she's so beautiful, he's concerned that they're going to want her to be their wife and because he is her husband, they're going to kill him to free her up. And nobody's ever said anything about that. It could have been that he went in there and said, well, she's married to him. Okay, well, she's married to him. No, he's the one who put this 
thought in his mind that because you're so beautiful, they're going to want you and you're going to kill me. So what I want you to do is I, I want you to be, I want you to be, tell them that you're my sister. Now, did y'all know, uh, did y'all know that, that that's a half-truth? You know? They, she, they were half-brother and sister. Had the same father, but different mothers. Okay, so there's a half-truth to that. A half-truth's always a... <laughs> that's right. The most effective truths are... <laughs> I mean, the fact of it is, that might be true, but the prominent relationship is they were married. They were married. So why, why, would he, why did he want to not be her husband, but to be her brother? Because he says, if I'm your husband, they're going to kill me so they can free you up to get married. But if I am your brother, listen now, if I am your brother, then they will have to come to me and they will have to talk with me and they will have to give me a dowry. They'll have to give a dowry. They'll have to pay something up for, for them to be able to marry you. Now, now here, here's what his plan was, all right? His plan was this. Anybody who comes to me and they ask to marry her, I'm going to make that dowry so much they can't pay for it. They can't afford it. It's an expensive woman. All right? I'm going to make it so much that they can't pay for it. So, so that'll keep her from having to marry anybody else. He thinks he's protected her and him. But do you know how plans fall apart? Have you ever had any plan fall apart? His plan falls apart. Look what happens next. And it came out, verse 14, it came about when Abram came into Egypt. And sure enough, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Now look what happens next. And Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh... And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. He had no idea Pharaoh was going to want to marry her. Because whatever dowry he would place out there, Pharaoh, who owned it all, could afford it all. Amen? So there, there's a... I mean, I, I, I see things in the Bible, really. I laugh whenever I'm in my quiet time sometimes. I see things in the Bible that are just... This is humorous to me. I mean, I know he, he's living in sin and he's done the wrong thing and he's messed up everything. But, but whenever he has calculated this plan, I've had those plans worked out. Uh, this is how it's going to work out. We're going to be able to maneuver this and get this all worked out. And then all of a sudden, Pharaoh, who owns everything, shows up. And says, whatever you want for her, I'll pay. Whatever you want for her. Now, now the, the, the humorous thing is, what in the world did Abram look like when Pharaoh showed up and told him that? And then the other question is, what did Sarah look like whenever she heard, well, I mean, don't you know they had gotten into a holy huddle? And he said, I've got this figured out of how it's going to be okay, and I'm going to live, and you're going to live too, and I'm going to put a dowry. So I, and all of a sudden, Pharaoh's paid all of what he asked for, and she, here she is, a part of his harem. Don't you know she said, I knew I shouldn't have trusted that man? <laughs> Don't you know she said, I, I, knew, I knew that there was some weakness in that plan? What in the world are they going to do? Because look, look what... 
Look what he gets for her. It says, Therefore he treated Abram well for her sake and gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. And it keeps going on and on. Whatever you want, I'll give for this woman. She was a beautiful woman, obviously. For Pharaoh to pay that much for her. Abram now has all, has all this wealth that Pharaoh's given to her, but he doesn't have a wife. What's going to happen? Well, Abram is in a situation he cannot help himself. He's gotten him into a situation he cannot help himself. Have you ever gotten into a place where you couldn't help yourself? It's a dead-end road. All, all your plans have evaporated. Your only, your only help is that God is a God of mercy and God's a God of power and God is a God of faithfulness who is going to accomplish His promise even when we mess up. Amen? Hold on a second, Wednesday night crowd. You can beat that. Aren't you glad God is faithful even when we mess up? Amen? Amen. I am so glad. So look what, Abram has no help, he has no plan, he doesn't have, he's got a wife who's going off with a harem with Pharaoh, he's got a bunch of donkeys and camels and all that kind of, what in the world is he going to do? God shows up. Look what happens next. Verse 17. You ought to underline these words. But the Lord, thank God. <laughs> but the Lord. This has been a mess. It's going the wrong way. But the Lord shows up. And what do you do? Listen to what happens. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Now hold on a second. If I would have asked you a trivia question, I started to do that. If I would have asked you a trivia question and said this, when were the first plagues affecting Egypt and Pharaoh's house? Most of you would have said, Moses, Egypt, Exodus, ten plagues. That would not have been correct. You would have lost in Bible trivia. You would have lost. Because the first plagues affecting Pharaoh's house is right here. God sent plagues on Pharaoh's house because Pharaoh had the wife of Abram. Because he had her in his harem thinking that she's going to be one of his wives. And God said, that's not happening. That's not happening. Why? Because God has already promised to Abram that he's going to have many descendants. He's, he's already promised he's going to bless him. He's, he's already... God, God already has a plan, and do you know who is a vital part of that plan? Do you know who is a key element to that plan? Sarai. She is the one. He's going to learn that. He's slow to learn. He, 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 I think he's got Abraham Amos is probably his name, last name's Amos, but he is slow to learn. He, he really is. But God says it's going to be through her. It's going to be through her. So Pharaoh 
you're either going to have plagues all the rest of your life, or you're going to let her go. Now, now let me tell you something. There's some things that I would like to be recorded in Scripture, and it doesn't record. Right here, it doesn't record something. What does it not record? It doesn't record what God says to Pharaoh. But you know he says something. Because these plagues just don't happen. Look, look, look what he comes back. Listen to what he says back to him. He says in verse 18, Then Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Hold on a second. How does he know that she's his wife? Because God told him. That's the wife of Abram. You better not touch her. You send her back. The plagues that you're facing is because you have his wife. Send her back. And now you have a pagan king who is rebuking the man of faith. Do you hear that? A pagan rebuking. Have you ever had that happen? I've had, I've had lost people who didn't know Christ who've done rebukes to me as a, as a man of faith. Because my life wasn't what it ought to be or shouldn't, I wasn't doing what I ought to do or whatever. And, and they come along and say, what, what, what are you doing? That's what he says. He, he said, what are you doing to me? Why did you not tell me that she's your wife? Now look at verse 19. Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Here's your wife. Take her and go. That's not all. Listen to the last verse. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they escorted him away. They took him out of Egypt. Wait a second. He wasn't even supposed to be in Egypt. Why was he in Egypt? Why? Because he decided to go. And now you have not God who has probably told him you shouldn't be here, but the old king is saying, I'm getting you out of here. You're not staying here. But look, look what else happens. And, and this, is, this is amazing when it says, escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. Pharaoh didn't even take back all that stuff he gave. He said, okay, now here's, here's your wife. Give me all my donkeys and camels back. He wasn't wanting no donkeys and camels. Abram walks out with all those belongings and all that wealth and all those things. Why? Because, because Abram had done the right thing. Nope. Abram blew it. But God is always faithful to his promise. And, and, and he helps us even when we blow it. And once again, remember, he's this man who was meeting with God and worshiping at altars, praising his name, the everlasting God, meeting all the time. All of us can be just like that. We, we can have this quiet time. And if you're not careful, all it takes is for you to decide, I think I know best. I think I know best. I think this will work out. Instead of finding out what God wants you to do. And, and whenever you take that wrong step, let me tell you, when you take that wrong step, 
you're going you're gonna to find yourself being challenged in your character and you're going to find you losing your courage. And one of the things it says in Colossians, it says something else that you'll lose whenever you step away from where God wants you to be. You'll lose the peace of God. You know how I know I'm in God's will? I have the peace of Christ in my heart. When you lose the peace of Christ, the peace of God in your life, because you've stepped out to Egypt when you're supposed to stay where you are. Stay where you are. Thank God that whenever we do get in Egypt, God has a way of getting us out. Even if it takes a pagan king running us out, amen? It's a great story, great lesson for each of us to live by. Thank you, Lord, for truth. Bless us that we'd meet with you, we'd know what we're supposed to do, and we'd do it because we're wanting to serve you. Forgive us whenever we go the wrong path. And thank you for being faithful when we're not. And also thank you for even using pagan people, somebody doesn't even know Christ, to point us back to the way so we can walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a good rest of the week.